In May, the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, declared a public health epidemic. This time, it wasn't COVID. It was loneliness. Loneliness. Did you know they can now calculate the medical damage that happens when you or I become socially isolated? It's as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. When you and I need food, we feel hunger. When we need water, we feel thirst. And when we need social connection, we feel loneliness. According to Dr. Murthy, loneliness is our body telling us, quote, something I need for survival is missing. I need it. And yet that social connection is missing for many Americans today. Just a couple decades ago, Americans spent, on average, an hour a day with friends. Now that has dropped to 20 minutes. Back then, very few people said, I don't have any friends. Now that number has quadrupled. And who's feeling it the most? This really surprised me. It is young people who are almost twice as likely to say, I feel lonely as people 65 and over. Meanwhile, the many ways that humans have long tried to solve the need for connection are no longer working as well. Marriage rates in the U.S. have been going down for decades, and they hit an all-time low in 2020. But it's not just marriage. Partnership is down. Cohabitation is down. Even sex is down. According to Magdalene J. Taylor in the New York Times, the percentage is down, the frequency is down, even among men under 30, whom you might expect would be in the sexually active category, about 30% of them are not. And friends, this is our world, this is our moment. It, it's, it's a painful place to be because I think people are, we feel more hungry for connection than ever, and we feel less certain that relationships will work. That that's where we could find meaningful connection. Can I ask, where in your life are you feeling some loneliness? Some measure of isolation? Where you hunger for something more meaningful than what this is in the relationship? See, this, this human need for connection runs so deeply within us so that we all will feel this at times. We will all feel lonely. We have the need. We have the longing. And so I want to ask, as a Christian, what does God offer to us in this very place? Right here. What is God's plan to help us in our isolation? And I'm guessing that the answer might surprise you. And yet, you and I can be part of it. All right, as uh, Stephen read very well from Genesis, when God creates the world, six times the Bible says that what he creates is good. So, the leafy green plants, good. Silver fish swimming through reefs, good. And then, 
After God creates humans, male and female in his image, he sees that everything is now very good. And so the Bible takes this view that it really couldn't say any more clearly, we humans are good. Our bodies are good, yes, even though they're limited. Our relationships are good. Our maleness or femaleness is good. Sex is good. And yet today, Genesis 3, we experience this very differently, do we not? Since humans have rebelled and still rebel against God, we humans are still good, and yet we are capable of treating people with cruelty. We are capable of deceiving ourselves. We are capable of not managing desires well. And our bodies, our relationships, gender, touch, sex, all these good things now become places of confusion, of pain, of darkness, of places where we can, they can leave us even feeling more alone. In Genesis 2, I find it striking after all the chorus of good, 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 good in Genesis 1, we hear those two words, not good, not good. And what would make God say something is not good? He says it's not good for the man to be alone. Meaning that when a human is isolated, that's not good. Do you know someone in your life who's extremely isolated? Is it better for them? No, they're suffering. As social worker Brene Brown says, love and belonging are irreducible needs for all people. In the absence of these experiences, there's always suffering. Well, what is God's plan here? And this is where it's easy for preachers to misstep. Uh, In Genesis 2, the writer tells about a man and woman uniting in marriage. And so clearly part of God's solution for our isolation is that. And yet, in sermons or Christian books, it seems like the teaching often is this. The problem is loneliness, and God's solution is marriage. Or even, the problem is singleness, and God's solution is marriage. Have you heard that, or have you gotten that impression? Getting some amens. Okay. In one book by a well-known Christian leader and his wife, they say, quote, according to Genesis 1 and 2, we were made for marriage and marriage was made for us. Now, since that book was written for married people, I guess I understand the context. And yet I say, who's us? In the Christian church, in this church, in every church, what does that say that is good news for the many of us who are single or who have experienced marriage as a terror or who are divorced or whatever it may be. Well, friends, I have good news from the Bible that's for all of us. And that's this, that the Bible doesn't speak, stop speaking to this question in Genesis 2. It goes on to teach us the core meaning, the ultimate meaning of that amazing phrase, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. St. Paul tells us, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Christ and the church. That is God's big idea. Yes, the Bible honors marriage. So should we. But God's solution for the not good of isolation among humans is not, it's not solely marriage, it's something bigger, it's richer. Contrary to how Genesis 2 is sometimes preached, 
The problem is not singleness to be solved by marriage. The problem is isolation to be solved by a new family in Christ. We might even put it this way, if this is not too much, God's solution to our human isolation, unlike some seminars, is not everybody go off and get married. It's Christ and the church get married. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest theologians America has ever produced, says that God's whole end goal in creating the world is this, quote, to provide a spouse for his son, Jesus Christ, who might enjoy him and on whom he might pour forth his love. That's why in scriptures you see all these references like the picture of the future in in Revelation. It's a wedding feast of the Lamb. And the bride are the believing Christians in the Lamb who have prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. And we get to experience this reality even now at least in part. As theologian Cutter Calloway put it, the answer to being alone is not marriage, it's community. Better yet, it's communion, primarily with God and also with each other. Now this is a new thought for most people. It is not the norm in most churches that I I know that They see the family of God as the big picture and our own friends and relationships and families as important, but under that big picture. But something amazing happens when you and I step into God's new family, when we make this move from me to we. This is countercultural, people. I know it. So no church is going to do this perfectly, and certainly we won't and don't. But yet, Savior has tasted this and lived into this in some degree. When Karen and I came here about seven years ago, we were both healthy. (laughs) In our first year, Karen blew out a disc in her lower back and spent months on the couch in the most extreme pain. She was living from Norco to Norco. It was miserable until she could get in for a spinal surgery. Then she needed another one, like six months later. And then shortly after that, not even like four months after that, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And I got to tell you, we just felt, boom! Just overwhelmed and afraid, like, how am I ever going to care for her? How is she ever going to care for me? And one of my big fears, honestly, was dragging all of you at Savior through it with us and with me. I just didn't want to hurt this church. And uh, at the next vestry meeting, we told him the diagnosis, and Al She, who's here tonight, looked at us and said, you know, you thought God sent you here to care for us. Maybe God sent you here so we could care for you. People brought us meals last week and this week. (laughs) Now that is what life can be in God's new family. Sometimes we get tastes, real tastes, and we'll get it in its fullness in the life to come. Now let's see if I can make God's new family even more clear and tangible for you. Here are three things that I think may surprise you about the bonds in God's new family. The first one is this. 
in God's new family, the bonds are deeper than in the biological family. Deeper. Watch this. One time Jesus is teaching and his family shows up. They can't get in because of the crowds and so they pass the message in and the people are telling him, Jesus, your mother and brother are outside waiting to talk to you. In that culture, like, how rude can you be? Stop teaching and get out there and see them. <laughs> you know? um, and Jesus says this, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. That's his deepest family. As you and I obey God's will, get this, the connection that you and I have to Jesus Christ is actually closer than his own family had. Now, this explains an experience that some of you may have had. Have you ever gone to a family reunion? And while there, you enjoy some things, but sometimes you just feel out of place. Like, whoa, I don't get some of these people, and they don't get me. And then you come home, and you call a Christian friend. And you're like, oh, I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to hold back. I can just be real. And it's such a relief. And what is happening in that moment is that you are feeling actually closer to someone in God's new family than in your own biological family. Theologian Beth Felker Jones says, and this will sound really crazy, but think about it, and I think you'll come to agree as I have that she's right. The teaching of Jesus demotes the importance of the biological family in favor of the ecclesial family, meaning the church family. The church family, yes, God, Jesus honors family. He for sure does. And yet he honors God's new family even more, and it is there that the bonds are deeper. Well, if that's not enough to surprise us, how about this? Number two, in God's new family, the bonds are just as real and intimate as those created by sex. Yes. In one of the early Christian churches, the church members who are coming out of paganism don't see any reason why they can't keep their sex lives just the way they are, where virtually nothing is off limits. So St. Paul has to tell them in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Your body, physical, member of Christ. And Paul's trying to help them see, look, you are so connected to Jesus Christ that wherever you go, he goes with you. And the other people connected to Jesus Christ come along. So he says then, am I then going to take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. He says, don't you know that the one who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now let's pause there. Do you see the comparison Paul's making? He's comparing two things. He's comparing the union that's created in sexual intercourse with the union that already exists between the believer and Jesus Christ. Now, scholar Aaron San says, Paul conceives this union with Christ to be as real as the physical union created by intercourse. And, Aaron San says, don't think 
that it means, oh, my union with Christ is just purely spiritual and this is physical. This is physical too because our union with Christ, yes, it comes through the Holy Spirit and the bodily act of being baptized. Now, this is heady. (laughs) In God's new family, the bonds are just as real and intimate as those created in sex. And third, in God's new family, the bonds are more lasting than in the biological family. In the gospel reading that Sandy read, one day Jesus gets asked about a hypothetical situation, kind of an absurd one, where this woman is married to seven different guys throughout her life and they keep dying off. She's not actually a black widow, but yeah, okay. And so here's the question. In the age to come, when the followers of God are raised from the dead, which guy will she be married to? And and Jesus has to tell him, your whole premise is wrong. Because when God raises people to life, they won't get married. Now, marriage is honored by God. I've said and said and said it, and I really believe it. But it's here for a limited time only. What is going to go on and on and on is the marriage between Jesus Christ and his followers. That is the one marriage that will last forever. Now, what we know about the age to come, we, we, we know we'll never stop being fully embodied and sexed beings. Our resurrection body is like our own, just glorious, strong, and immortal. We'll never stop being relational. We'll never even stop enjoying bodily pleasures. Get that. Jesus enjoyed eating fresh fish baked over a charcoal fire on the beach in his resurrection body. And yet, When you and I are resurrected into life, marriage and therefore sex will not be a part of the equation, not because they're bad, but because they're not able to capture the new reality where we're all married to Christ. Cutter Calloway says, kind of shaking his head in marvel, Jesus was able to say all of this without diminishing the value of marriage or its role in God's purposes in the world. If anything... Jesus urges his disciples and the religious leaders of his day to take marriage more seriously, not less. And yet, he says, resurrection life is a state in which no one's married. Everyone's celibate. Those who are celibate in the present age, whether by choice or not, are living, breathing previews of life as it is in the kingdom. Now, friends, I've covered a lot of theology here. But I feel like I've needed to do that because much of this Christian understanding has been neglected. We need it because it's freeing, it's life-giving. All of a sudden, many questions that don't make sense otherwise make sense. Like these. Do I belong here? We all wonder that. Is God for me? Is this church for me? Is there a place here for me? In God's new family, yes, there is. In Christ, you belong. Whether you're single, married, separated, divorced, widowed, remarried, straight, gay, bi, other, the church becomes this place of intimacy and community for everyone who is united to Jesus Christ. And some of you have been in church cultures where marriage, which is an honorable way to live, was instead made the ticket to legitimacy. Good luck if you wanted to serve on the elder board or lead a Bible study and you weren't married, you weren't taken seriously. And I am so sorry that that's been the case. Or if your longings leaned gay or lesbian, you, you, you really felt you didn't fit. You didn't know if you could talk about your life. 
And that's why Revoice, a group supporting LGBTQ Christians who want to remain faithful to traditional Christian sexual ethics, points us to back to God's new family. Here's what they say. We believe that every Christian has been adopted into the family of God and that the bonds of spiritual kinship between brothers and sisters of faith are in fact deeper and more fundamental to Christian self-understanding than natural family relationships. So you ask, do I belong here? Yes, you do. Or how about this question? When it comes to relationships and sex, what is God for? You ever wonder that? The church's message can come across as, well, God hates divorce, God hates adultery, God hates premarital sex, God hates gay sex, but there's not a positive vision of what God is for. Why do sex and relationships matter to God? Well, because God is for people. God is for human flourishing. God is for the body. God is really for bringing all things together in Christ, this new family united to him and to each other. So when St. Paul answers the question, why, in my freedom as a Christian, can I not hook up with a prostitute? He doesn't say, well, because you might get an STD, although you certainly might. He doesn't say, because sex work is inherently dehumanizing, although it is. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members with Christ himself? That, should I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! So the answer to why can't I sleep around is because my body or your body, it's connected to Christ. That's why. Now, some of you have been part of a church where a key leader took his or her body to a place where it didn't belong. And when they did that, they violated the tangible connection that they had with Jesus Christ and with everyone else in the church through Christ. And so you were wounded by that. Of course you were. What went wrong? Well, the person started making a relationship decision and a sexual choice with only his own body in mind and not with Christ's body in mind. He conveniently ignored this, this truth that where I'm going, the body of Christ is going with me. Now, over the next three weeks, uh, Dr. Deb Nickerson and I will apply this vision of living in God's new family to the unique life that you have, whether you're a single person, gay person, married person, and you have certain opportunities and gifts. You also have certain commitments and calls. And you have things that you need from the church. And we're going to try to talk honestly about that and I know full well that there is no church, there is no relationship, there is no marriage that will ever meet all of our hungers for relationship that happens in the life to come. And yet, starting now, whatever your particular situation, we can all take steps in this journey from me, which is where everybody else is in the culture, to we. Well, finally, I'll close with this. This vision of God's new family answers where can I go to get help? Where can I get help? Relationships fragment and fray. There are seasons to them, and it's hard when they come to an end. Touch touches the most tender parts of us, the most vulnerable. Every single one of us here has longings unmet. Experiences we didn't want. 
Choices that now we regret. In life, there's like the joy of friendship, there's the arm around the shoulder, but there's also disappointments and confusions and pain and things we hope nobody knows. The truth is, when it comes to relationships and sex, there's nobody here who's walking out of the Sermon on the Mount saying, I got this covered. So every one of us needs Jesus Christ, and we need his forgiveness. We need his daily help. Uh, Ted Olson wrote that Jesus is a man who never married, but he had intimate friendships, a man who knows our sexual brokenness, not because he sinned, but because on the cross, that horrible moment that changed everything, he wasn't just being killed, he was sexually humiliated too. He was sexually broken for our sexual brokenness. Oh, friends, when we find him, we find each other. We need the body of Christ. We really need each other. As Todd Billing says for the Christian, it's impossible to be celibate alone, and it's impossible to be married alone. The community of God can help us stay faithful. Now, next week, Deb will reflect on what this has been like for her as a single person. And since my own experience has been as a married person, I'll just say this. When Karen and I have conflicts that we can't get over or around or under, we have gone to wise Christians, older, wiser mentors, and and they've helped us see things we weren't seeing. They helped us get unstuck. They helped us take responsibility for stuff we weren't taking responsibility for. When I have felt restless in my marriage or dissatisfied with something, I have gone to an older, wiser mentor in the church or to my lifelong prayer partner. And they have helped me see my part in all that. And they've also given me hope. And they've also said, I'm going to check back in on you. And they did. And they do. See, I cannot live out my life and my call in any kind of faithful way without the body of Christ. I think the same is true for you. So family of God, I need you. You need me. We all need each other. Let's do this together. Amen.